Well, again, welcome to Mosaic. We're glad you're here, and especially to join us in this conversation. Um, we've been having the last few weeks. If you've been around, you know we've been talking through what is kind of a, a biblical theology of hospitality, what that looks like in the life of a believer, how central that is to the life of a believer, and how central it is to the kingdom of God. How foundational this idea of hospitality is. And, and last week, if you were around, Rachel was walking us through how this looked practically in the life of Ruth and particularly in the life of, of Boaz. How, how simple and, and ordinary this decision he made to leave the edges of his field unharvested and how it changed everything for this woman, a foreigner, a Moabite woman, a widow, helpless and in need. And this decision he makes changes everything. It plays into it. Remember, we talked about this, this idea of the big story of God and the little story of Boaz and Ruth. And it's all wrapped up in this, this small, ordinary decision that he's making. And the question, really, as we consider that, is, is like, how are we making those simple, ordinary decisions day in and day out to share our lives with other people? How are we making that same decision that Boaz is and this week, that kind of shifts a bit. We're going in a different direction this week because I know some of you have probably been asking questions as we've talked about all of this. Maybe the question that's been running through your mind is like, well, what if this idea of sharing my life is not very easy right now? What if my life is not such that I can invite someone into it right now? What if I don't have much in the way of, of space in my life? What if I don't have a house, right? We think of hospitality and we think of bringing people into our homes, into our lives that way. What if I don't have that? What if I've, I've got roommates, right? Some of you might be saying like, I got roommates and they're just toddlers and tweeners and whatever else, right? And they're even more volatile, right? Like how am I supposed to bring people into my life? Because there's like bedtime routines and stuff or whatever. I don't know what it is. But you might be asking that question. What does it look like to bring other people into my life? How can I actually do that? And the answer to that question, that conflicted sense we have as we consider these things, I think is found in the life of Jesus. He makes this statement. When a man comes and he's overzealous and he's ready to follow Jesus to the end, he says, well, consider this. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus is a man who by his own admission is houseless. He is without space or margins or much to share in the way that we would think of it. In terms of material possession, he's acknowledging he doesn't have much to offer anyone. If ever someone could say they don't have anything to share, or they've got very little to, to offer to anyone, you might say that, that that's Jesus. How is Jesus supposed to invite somebody into this itinerant life that he is living, wandering around the countryside, teaching and relying on everybody else's hospitality, everybody else's generosity? Like, how is he supposed to invite somebody into that, right? How is he supposed to, to be able to truly be hospitable and, and generous? Like, he could certainly have asked the same question. People around him could have asked that question. How are we with him supposed to do this? And yet we know if we look at the life of Jesus consistently over and over again, he is revealing the hospitality of the kingdom, putting it on display everywhere he goes. He is consistently inviting people into this life that he's living. He does it with Peter and his brother Andrew. Come 
follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Leave behind your boats and your nets. The same with James and John. He goes past the place where Matthew is working, his booth, and he says, come and follow me, right? We're familiar with this idea of Jesus inviting people into his life, even though at first glance, he doesn't really have much to, to offer them. Yet he's inviting people to share in the goodness of what God is doing in him, through him, consistently. You see this happening in Jesus. But there's a different angle I want us to look at um, this morning. The life of Jesus reveals something more than just that. And I think it, it reveals that a lot of times our questions in this particular matter are often the wrong ones. We're asking the question, how? Like, what can I share? How do I invite people into my life at this point? Like, I don't feel like I've got much to offer, right? And when we ask that question, we're asking the wrong kind of question. And our question really kind of shows our cards a little bit. Shows our cultural, historical cards and, and, and who we are and how shaped we've been by our culture. Because as a culture, we have a kind of short-sighted view of hospitality, a very one-dimensional view of hospitality. And there's something else in Jesus that we're seeing, right? In Jesus, you're seeing a, a different kind of hospitality than the cultural brand of hospitality you might be used to. In our modern Western context, we think of hospitality a very particular way. And this is what I mean. In the West, where we live, hospitality generally is, is centered around the idea of bringing someone else into my life right? In some way, form, or fashion, right? I'm inviting somebody else into my home, into my life to share in what I have with them. And that is true. That is valid. You've heard us talk about that the entire time we've been in this series. That's what we've been talking about. For the main part, that's the sort of hospitality we tend to think about as a culture. And in Jesus's Eastern context, right? On the other side of the world, in a completely different culture, in a completely different time, they see the same way in terms of hospitality. To invite somebody into your life, to share something that you have with them, to bring them into your home, this is a great honor for them. Like You are honoring them. It's a great joy for them to be invited into your life. But there's this other aspect of it. Jesus is kind of flipping the script. Jesus is, is changing the way we see hospitality. It's not just the person who's invited into someone's life who is honored in that moment. It's not just the person who's invited into your home who is honored. It's really more so the person who's inviting that is honored in their culture. So in terms of hospitality, we don't always see things that way. It's not just the person who's being invited. It's the person who's extending the invitation to someone to enter into their life, to share life with them, to share what they have, to come into their home, whatever that might be. That honors them even more so. And I think that's true in our culture to an extent. I think we, we see hosting someone as an honor to us at some level, but not like they do. You kind of have to step outside of our culture to really see it that way. And I can remember being in, um, in India and, and feeling it especially strong. We were at the end of this, this small church gathering in a house, and there are all these believers that are coming up, and they want to meet us. They want to spend time with us after it's all over. But what's interesting is they don't all just want to meet us at church. They all want us to come to their houses. Like every house, we're supposed to go on this tour of all the homes in the church so we can be in everybody's house. This is the way they saw it. And it wasn't just about honoring us. Right? Obviously, they wanted to honor us, but for them, it was this deep honor to be able to host such rare guests. Same thing in Nepal. I can remember like hiking into to villages, and we're only going to be there like a night or two. And everybody you meet wants you to come to their, their house for tea. 
everyone wants you to enter into their home, right? And it's not just about honoring me, right? There's this level of honor they experience, a deep joy they find in hosting someone else. This is how it works, and, and Jesus knows this. He knows that hospitality goes two different ways, and there's an honor on both sides of the thing. So though Jesus can't invite anybody into his home, right? He has no home at this point. He's acknowledging that. He has chosen to leave home and pursue this life, proclaiming the kingdom come. He has no home, and though he cannot invite anybody into his home, though he doesn't have much to share, Jesus chooses to step graciously into other people's lives. This is the way it looks, right? He chooses to honor people by stepping into their lives, stepping into what they have. You see Jesus do this over and over again. He's offering honor and dignity to people their society has withheld it from by stepping into their lives when maybe nobody else would. Jesus chooses to step graciously into these stories, into these lives that have been rejected very often. He's not just inviting people into his life. He does that very often. Over and over again, we see it. But just as often, we see Jesus choosing in the heart of hospitality to enter into other people's lives, to enter into their stories, to enter into their circumstance, to enter into their pain, to step into what everybody else has left alone, to enter into their homes. Jesus does it over and over again. Hospitality just looks different. Jesus is flipping the script. It's a sort of inversion of hospitality as we know it in our culture. And we have to start seeking this more fully orbed, fully formed idea of hospitality. When we talk about it, we have to be meaning that as well. So there, there are so many different occasions where Jesus does this. Our passage this morning is from, from Matthew 8, but we're going to jump around a lot, okay? I was thinking about John 4. It's a familiar story. We all know John 4, the story of the woman at the well. Now, the background to the story of the woman at the well is that Jesus is traveling. He's going from Judea in the south to Galilee, his home, which is much further north. And in order to get there, he either has to pass through Samaria or go around Samaria. Culturally, everybody knows what you're supposed to do so that you don't pass through the land of the unclean Samaritans. You just take the long way. You go out and around to avoid going through Samaria. Jesus, as you can expect, takes the unconventional route. And we don't know why. John won't tell us. He just tells us that Jesus had to go through Samaria. There's some sort of compulsion. Something compels Jesus to go through Samaria. And seemingly, as far as we can tell, he's not there very long. He passes through. He's only there a few days. And seemingly, the only reason he's doing it is this interaction with this woman. As far as the story, the way John is telling it. It's all about this woman and her village and what is about to take place there, right? Something compels Jesus. And while Jesus is there, you know the story. There's this woman, a Samaritan woman, who has come intentionally at noon. She's come in the middle of the day when it is hottest, when the sun is at its highest point. The most miserable time you could possibly choose to draw water, and she has come then. Why? Because she's trying to avoid interaction at all costs. Everybody else would draw water in the morning, in the evening, when the sun is much lower. She's chosen to come at noon. Why? Because she wants to avoid interaction at all costs. She wants to avoid the scorn and the ridicule that comes with the life of adultery she's been living for so long. She doesn't want to interact with anybody. 
She's trying to get her water and get out of Dodge as quickly as possible. And in this moment, Jesus steps graciously into it. He interrupts her shame. He interrupts the pain of her experience. He steps in and he refuses to allow her to disengage, to not interact, to completely be unplugged and disconnected and alone. The woman has come purposefully to avoid this, and here is Jesus. And, and, and you all know what this feels like. I was thinking about it. It happens. It's probably happened to you. It happens to me, I feel like, the most often when I go home for the holidays, right? I go home for the holidays, and inevitably what happens at some point, Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever it may be, something has been forgotten, and your mother says, hey, I need you to go to the store for me. And you're like, okay, I'll go to the store. This is fine. It's not going to be that big a deal. And when you go to Walmart or Publix or wherever, the expectation, what you're looking for here is not a class reunion, but inevitably it happens, right? And there's somebody there and they want to talk about high school and the good old days or show you pictures of their kids or tell you Merry Christmas and it's like, humbug, man, I got to go. My mother is waiting. I got to go. I don't have time for all of this stuff, right? And this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's, he's interrupting all of her intentions. He steps into her story. He enters graciously into her experience. And he, he says something really simple. I think we just kind of like miss the power of what he's doing here. You miss the hospitality of it all because culturally we don't see it this way. He says to the woman, will you give me a drink? Not just because he doesn't have anything to draw from. She'll remind him later, hey, sir, you don't actually have anything to draw from the well with, okay? Not just that. He's asking her on purpose, will you give me a drink? This is the way it looks. On the surface, Jesus seemingly has nothing to offer this woman, nothing to draw with, no water that he could provide for her. And so he positions himself to receive from her. On purpose, he's choosing to receive from her. Jesus can get a drink from someone else. He can get it some way else. He can go and rest somewhere else, whatever it might be, right? Jesus could do this any other way. But he's chosen to sit in the heat of the day at this well, waiting on this woman so that she can give him a drink. He humbles himself, and he honors her by allowing her the opportunity. She becomes the honored host, and he is the one that has to humble himself and receive from her. It's this beautiful opportunity, right? Because when you consider this woman's situation, no one else wants anything this woman has to offer. From the well or otherwise. They have no interest in this woman or what she has. But Jesus does. Jesus has come intentionally to this woman and he's sitting here in the heat of the day just so he can do this, so he can ask her, Will you give me a drink? So that he can dignify her, honor her, so that he can enter into her painful experience and offer her living water, he says. Here's the interesting thing. Jesus doesn't lead with that, though. He's going to talk to her about the, the living water. Woman, if you'd asked me, I would have given you living water, right? But he doesn't lead with that. He doesn't say, can I give you something to drink? Can I offer you something, right? And that's the way we generally think of hospitality. Like, would there be anything, could there be anything more kind than that? Jesus is waiting on her at the well, and he says, can I, can I draw that water for you? Can I offer you something to drink? That's what hospitality looks like in our minds so often. And Jesus doesn't do that because she's the honored host and he's going to receive from her. This is what hospitality looks like. 
It's about letting her see she still has value. As tarnished as she is by sin and shame and brokenness, he's letting her see all of this. Now, we all know Jesus is the one who really has something to offer. He's the one who has the living water, the eternal living water, the thing that can actually satisfy this woman in what has been a really painful experience and story. But he's letting her have the honor in this moment. Jesus cannot invite this woman to his home. Jesus doesn't have anything to draw from. He can't give her water, we might think, on the surface, right? He seemingly has nothing to offer, but he chooses in this moment to enter into the life of a woman that nobody else wants to. And who, frankly, doesn't want anybody else to, to attempt, right? That's, that's where she's at. She's in such a painful place. And yet Jesus chooses to step graciously into her life. It's the flip side of hospitality that we so often miss. We're assuming we need something to share. And Jesus, instead, is allowing her to share with him. That's what it looks like. I think about Luke 19, right? Think about this story. Another really familiar story. You all know this story of Zacchaeus. Here is Jesus passing through Jericho, and there's this man, a very important and influential and powerful man in Jericho, Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is reviled by his own people and for very good reason. He's a lot like the Samaritan woman. He's been rejected by his city, by his culture. And it's not so much because of sin as it is because of betrayal. He has betrayed his own people. He's a traitor. He's an opportunist that saw an opportunity for easy money. And he took it. When the opportunity came his way, he took it. And now he's made himself rich on the backs of his own people. And he's hated for it. So much so that he wasn't even welcome in the synagogue anymore. The story is that tax collectors in Jewish society were rejected, pushed out of even the synagogue. This tight-knit worship community. And they're not allowed to be a part of it because they are seen by... Their culture is no different from the Gentiles they work for. Zacchaeus is no different than the Romans he works for. He's a Gentile and a sinner. He's rejected. And when he knows that Jesus is passing through Jericho, he's heard the hype, he's heard some of the things that have been said, he's heard of, about some of these miraculous things that are happening around the ministry of Jesus. He wants to, to see what all the hype is about. And you know the story, he climbs the tree, and when he climbs to the top of this tree, he sees Jesus and begins to realize that Jesus is actually walking toward him. And it's interesting what Jesus says, right? When Jesus sees him sitting in this tree and approaches him, Jesus doesn't say, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm taking you to lunch. We're going to lunch at Jeremiah's house, I don't know. He doesn't say that. He says, come down, I must stay at your house today. I'm going to your house. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' life. And again, yet another thing that seems culturally strange to us. Why would you do that sort of thing? It's even more strange for him, though. No righteous Jewish man, especially not someone like Jesus, who people are calling the Messiah. No righteous Jewish man wants to go and be the guest of Zacchaeus. Nobody wants to step into his home. It's already taboo enough to host a man like Zacchaeus in your home. That would be trouble. That's problematic. There's an uncleanness about Zacchaeus. There's something wrong with him. But even worse, to step into his home, to allow him to host you, to honor this man who has no honor left, there's something wrong with this. As a tax collector, 
Zacchaeus sold whatever shred of dignity and honor he had left to the Roman government for an easy dollar. That's who he was. And yet Jesus now is stepping graciously into his story, stepping into his home so that he can redeem all of that. This is what hospitality looks like for Jesus, right? Now, think about this. When, when politicians come to town, right, when it's election cycle time, when that season rolls around, a politician comes to town and they're canvassing for votes. They kind of put on the appearance of hospitality, right? They have to do this. So they kind of glad hand. They, they want to meet all these people. They want to shake hands and, and be present. They want to press the flesh as to say, look at me. Look at the kind of people that I spend my time with. You trust them, you can trust me, right? Maybe they, they do photo ops, with working class types, they go to some factory and they speak and they shake hands afterward and somebody's taking pictures. Maybe they find some middle class respected businesswoman or man in town and they shake hands with them and it's all on Instagram, right? So everybody can see you trust these people, right? So you can trust me. It's about building credibility. Jesus is not a politician. Jesus does the opposite. Jesus chooses a different approach. Jesus is not kissing babies. Jesus is taking selfies with the most greedy and oppressive and hated man in Jericho. It's like a thug in their eyes. Jesus is choosing to do something, but Jesus is a, about different business. And that's why many people accuse Jesus over and over again of being a glutton and a drunkard. Why? Because he's always at those people's parties. What is he doing with people like Zacchaeus? Why is he at Matthew's house? Matthew's a tax collector. Why would he go and sit at their table and receive from them? Why would he make this decision? Jesus has different business, right? He's intentionally choosing to let the tax collector, this dishonorable man, this figure who's been rejected by his society, he's choosing intentionally to let the man host him. Now, we all know who's really the host in that scenario, right? Even though Zacchaeus is hosting, Jesus somehow comes into his home and makes it feel more like home. You know these kinds of people. You invite them over, and somehow your house just feels better with them in it, right? Jesus is that sort of figure, right? He's bringing something, and that's why he says at the end of this whole interaction with Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house, right? So Jesus is the one who's really hosting. We know this, but he doesn't need to be seen that way. Jesus is the one who, who has something to really offer Zacchaeus. Don't get it mixed up. But Jesus is taking, again, this humble approach. He's going to let the tax collector be the honored host. He's going to put him in a position of honor, something that has not happened probably for a very long time. Jesus chooses to step into Zacchaeus' story, into his experience, and he's showing Zacchaeus and everybody else, this tax collector, as hated as he is, he still has something to offer. There's still something left there to be redeemed. Everybody has to see it because Jesus has stepped into his home. What's interesting about that story is Jesus doesn't heal Zacchaeus or anybody Zacchaeus knows. There's nothing profound, seemingly, that happens on the surface. But when Jesus makes the decision to choose, I mean, to, to, to step into this man, into his life, into his, his experience, into the rejection of his experience, it changes everything for him. Zacchaeus is overcome. 
is changed forever by this simple decision that Jesus is making, right? And that's something we have to come to grips with. Sometimes, yes, hospitality looks like inviting somebody else into my life. We ought to be doing that. Sometimes hospitality looks like sharing what I have with someone else. But other times, hospitality looks like allowing someone else to share what they have with me. It means allowing somebody else to see they have something to offer still. This is what hospitality looks like so often. Stepping into someone else's life and allowing them to see it, acknowledging they have something to offer. And that's not how we normally think of, of hospitality. We generally are seeing it this other way. So we're not excluded from hospitality simply because we don't feel like we have much to share. Because we don't have much space in our lives where we can do that, right? There's so much in Jesus' life that is teaching us this kind of hospitality. It just looks different than you might expect. And one of the things that surprised me as we've been talking about all of this is how truly foundational the idea of hospitality is in the life of a believer. We set out to prove that, and I've been surprised, even as we've been trying to prove it, how true it is. Like seeing it in so many different places, right? One of the things I think about is like the call that we all sense as a part of the church to proclaim the gospel, to make known the beauty of the kingdom and these creative ways that we're living our lives. All of that is interwoven with this idea of hospitality. Like, I thought about one of the, the most tense conversations and difficult conversations in the church right now is what outreach and evangelism are supposed to look like. How do we do this in a way that actually honors the people we're, we're sharing with? Like, how do we do that? Because there have been times where it's been practiced that, that we're not exactly proud of, right? That's a, a big conversation now. And the reality is we overcomplicate outreach and evangelism because at the heart of them is hospitality. At the simplest level, these things all start with hospitality. Like, we overcomplicate hospitality so many times. We think we're not really good at this. Certain people are. I'm not necessarily very good at all of this. When really, hospitality is just about trying to, to reveal the self-giving love of Jesus in the way that I open my life up to others. In the way that I choose to share my life with other people and create space in my life so that they can share with me, right? So that I can be present in their lives. That's it. It's just this simple sort of thing. And we do the same thing with outreach or evangelism or whatever. When it comes time to tell the story of Jesus, to make known the beauty of the kingdom, like we overcomplicate it. We think we're not capable of it. And at the heart of the thing, it's just hospitality, knowing when is the right moment to invite others into our lives, when we need to be sharing the goodness of what God and when we need to be allowing them to see the goodness of what God is doing in theirs. How do I know when I ought to be inviting someone into my life and how do I know when a person doesn't even really feel capable of such a thing and I need to step into their lives instead to allow them to see what good thing God is doing in them? One more story. Matthew Chapter 14, you probably know this one pretty well. Jesus is out in the middle of nowhere. He and his disciples have gone there intentionally, and unfortunately, it seems like, uh, Jesus is mourning. He's just uh, found out about the loss of somebody he admires, probably the person he admires the most in the world. John the Baptist has just been beheaded, um, a cousin of Jesus, as far as we can tell, He's in mourning, right? And so he leaves and he goes out into the middle of nowhere seemingly to try to get away from everything, but the crowd's just follow him. And Jesus, being who he is, chooses to let them come. 
He doesn't send them away. He heals their sick. He continues to teach and be present with them. It's this beautiful thing that's, that's happening in the midst of the pain that he's experiencing. The crowd just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And there's this moment where the disciples start to get worried because it's getting later and later in the day. No one has eaten, and the disciples come to Jesus. Jesus, there are too many people here. We don't have anything to offer them. We need to send them back home so that they can eat, right? And Jesus says something nobody's expecting. Jesus doesn't say, not a problem, I can feed them. He says, they don't need to go home. Why don't you feed them? Why don't you give them something to eat, he says. Like, imagine how that would have sounded to their ears. They're expressing a legitimate concern. They have a legitimate problem. This is a quandary, Jesus. What are we going to do with all of these people? Matthew begins the story by telling us that they really were in the middle of nowhere. The word he uses is eremos, right? It means wilderness, literally. It's the same word they used to describe just a few chapters earlier in Matthew 4, the place where Jesus was when he was tempted, out in the wilderness. It's the same word that's used in the Greek Old Testament in the Septuagint to describe the wilderness that Israel lived in for 40 years. Matthew's being intentional here. They really are in the middle of nowhere. They really are in the wilderness. There's nothing for these people to eat. And Jesus, with 5,000 people hungry, has the nerve to say, unironically, why don't you give them something to eat? He's not making a joke. Jesus is serious. Like, Jesus is like the worst house guest ever, right? Number one, they don't have houses anymore. He asked them to leave them behind. This has become their home out here in the middle of nowhere. Jesus and his disciples spent a lot of time out here in the middle of nowhere, and they're hosting all of these people in their little camp out in the middle of nowhere. It's like Jesus decided to host small group at his house in the backyard. You guys did this with us during COVID, maybe. But 5,000 people showed up, and Jesus is like, guys, it's good. We'll just order pizza. It's fine. We can just potluck it. What are you talking about, Jesus? Do you realize how much food it takes to feed these people? They say to him, Jesus, we, we've only got five loaves of bread and, and two fish that we got from a child. Luke will tell us it was a, a child that gave them the little bit that they had. We have nothing, Jesus. We have nothing to offer these people. And Jesus says, you don't need to send them home. Let's, let's share a meal. Let's eat together. They see a crisis, and Jesus sees an opportunity for hospitality. In the middle of this crisis, Jesus sees an occasion to share a meal. And I started thinking about that. Like, isn't that what the church is supposed to be? We see this crisis happening in the culture around us, like at every turn, year after year, one crisis unfolding after another. And the church can choose to see these things as, as one crisis after another and become cynical or become defeated and hopeless, or we can see the opportunities for hospitality in the midst of the crisis. This is who Jesus is. This is what he sees. The disciples don't know what to do with it. All we have is this. Now, they have to be thinking, if anybody could pull this off, which still sounds absurd, but if anybody could pull off this absurd thing of feeding 5,000 people, it's Jesus. But they've never seen Jesus do anything quite like that, so they're not really even sure of that. But if there's anybody who has a chance, it's Jesus, right? And instead, he's telling them, you should put together this little meal. 
You need to do this. Jesus should be the host, but he's telling somebody else, why don't you do it? The disciples who think they're completely incapable, they're helpless, and Jesus is saying, why don't you feed these people? And again, we know Jesus is the one who can feed them, but Jesus is humbling himself in this moment. He's trying to show them what they have to offer. He's trying to let the disciples see they have a part to play in this kingdom that he's proclaiming. He's letting them be the honored host. He's letting this little child be a part of the whole thing. That's beautiful, right? And it's from there. Jesus doesn't just like call out to heaven and say, feed these people. He doesn't just do something out of nothing. He lets them participate in this beautiful sort of way. They bring their meager offering, and Jesus then makes it a meal for 5,000. This is how he does it. And Matthew, the whole time, is hinting at this idea of wilderness on purpose. Because he wants you to see, just like God fed Israel out there in the wilderness all those years ago, God is about to feed his people again. Jesus is the manna that came from heaven. Feast on him. He is the one who can satisfy you. Matthew's trying to tell you. He wants you to see it. Jesus is the bread. In the middle of the crisis of the wilderness, Jesus just wants to share a meal. In the middle of the crisis of Jerusalem, right? Jesus is about to be arrested. Jesus is being portrayed. And even in the middle of all of that, he still sees an opportunity for hospitality. He says, let's share a meal. He sits his disciples down in somebody else's house, and he feeds them a meal. He washes their feet. He chooses to host them. It's this picture of hospitality all over again. Despite seemingly not having much left to offer to any of them. At the heart of our faith is a meal. We come to it week in and week out. At the heart of our faith is a moment of hospitality. And it is a moment of hospitality that you may be coming to in the middle of a crisis, right? But whatever thing you're facing, whatever difficult thing you're walking through, whatever pain characterizes your experience, whatever busyness or distraction characterizes your experience, Jesus sees an opportunity for a meal. And it is not just any meal, a meal of his own body broken, his own blood poured out. It is the portrayal of his self-giving love, perfectly laid out for us. He's inviting us to the table in the middle of our crisis, our anxiety, our worry, our insurmountable circumstances. He just wants to share a meal. He wants to invite you in in this sort of way. And so as the band comes and we move toward the table, um, this is the end of this series uh, and in some sense, a lot of times that means we kind of move on from it. It's like, that was good, and we move on from it. But like, I really think this, in some sense, is, is setting the table for the whole of the year. This is a question we ought to be considering. What does it look like for us to practice, not the, the cultural hospitality that we've become so familiar with, but this, this upside-down, inverted kind of hospi hospitality of Jesus? What does it look like to practice the hospitality of Jesus in our culture, in our city, in our church? What does that look like for us? Not just as individuals, yes, on an individual level consider that, but what does it look like at a corporate level? What does hospitality look like for us? To share what we have, to bring others into what we have, the goodness of what God is doing here, but what does it look like for us to step graciously into those places, into those lives where others aren't? 
where there's need and they would never come in to whatever you were inviting them to. What does that look like? How do we practice the hospitality of Jesus? How are we inviting others into our lives? How are we creating space, not just for them to be able to come into our lives, but space in our lives so that we can be present in theirs when the moment arises? Like, what does that look like? And it takes, like Boaz, making some really practical, ordinary, simple decisions day in and day out that I don't know that we always do. We build our lives around a lot of different things. What does it look like? As you come to the table, consider it. We'll pray. The band will will start to play. Feel free to come up and tear off a piece of bread uh, and grab a a cup of juice and then move back toward your seats. And uh, we'll come back up and and lead you through this. Father, we thank you for this morning and we ask that you would uh, just press upon us the beauty of a homeless man's hospitality. Help us to see what we have to offer. Help us to see what those around us have to offer. Help us to know when to invite others into our lives, when to step into theirs graciously, how to begin that. Lord, we know know sometimes it just feels overwhelming, God, but we pray by your spirit that you would begin to do a work. You begin to leave a mark on us such that we can't just escape this or ignore it. Help us to know what it looks like, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.